Well, as I've said to you before, I grew up in an environment where there was a recognition and, dare I say, an expectation for the power of God to move uh, within the church, within God's people. Not necessarily Sunday by Sunday. It is fair to say that uh, at the church... Churches I grew up in, you know, there were many, uh, one pastor friend called them brick-in-the-wall Sundays, you know, uh, there were many Sundays like that, and that's all part of being a disciple of Jesus, but there was a sense in the families, um, the church families to which I belong, particularly the first one actually in West Yorkshire, there was a sense of God's power, his activity, and an expectation that people carried into worship and into their daily lives that he would move. And that was strengthened, as I've said to you before, as I grew up um, through my sort of late single digits, my early double digits, and into my teens, and began to frequent uh, Shepton Mallet, uh, which is a place in Somerset, uh, where, thank you, good to see some people representing Somerset here, Uh, New Wine and Soul Survivor, and these camps, and I experienced often a palpable a dramatic sense of the nearness of God. It wasn't hype, it was real. God was there. You could almost, you could cut, as the phrase goes, you cut the atmosphere, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. It was thick in the room. And that marked me. I've, honestly, I've never really recovered. I've never really recovered. I've always wanted to be part of a church that carries that sense of God's presence. That's why we came up with, or rather we think God inspired, this vision of a church on fire. We're not just trying to, by the way, when we say that, we're not just trying to find our own unique niche, our gap in the market. Oh, no other churches have said this. Therefore, maybe this is how we could position ourselves within the sort of brand ecology of churches in the city. Not our intention. We're actually telling you what we're going after. And what we're going after is more of God, more of his presence, more of his power. And I've, ha- I've always had a sense, consequently, in church, honestly, even when it's good, I've always had a sense that there must be more than this. I don't know. I think, I think as I preach, some of you think that, right? You should think that. There must be more than this, right? There must be more. Don't nod so vigorously. There must, mustn't there? There must be more than this. I was just talking to Clive uh, before. Uh, when Clive was a young man, ju- <laughs> five or so years ago, when, <laughs> a boy, when Clive was a boy, just down the hill from here where Mansfield Road, hi- Mansfield Road hits Woodborough Road, where currently there's that uh, um, game shop, you can do like rolling dice and things like that. What's it called? Yeah, that cafe. Clive was part of a a, a revival meeting that stretched out for weeks, I think, three weeks, and he saw dramatic healings. He saw, in particular, a child that had no eye receive an eye. He witnessed that. It's an extraordinary thing. What would you do if that happened this morning? I'll tell you what I would do. I would be terrified. I would be terrified. And if God did that this morning, so would you. And rightly so. This series called Spirit Life is birthed in the hope that God might just be preparing his church for a time in which the miraculous becomes commonplace. The miraculous becomes commonplace. That's what I want to see. I want to see an atmosphere shift in the church. I want to see a shift, not just in this church, 
I want to see it in Wilford Church. I'm invested there now. We sent a curate there. I want to see it in Lady Bay. I'm also invested there. Basically, I want to see it all across this city. I want it to begin to be gossiped about across the nation and across the world. I want to see it Pastor Johnson's friend in Pakistan. I want to see it all across the nations. That's what I want to see because that is the story the Bible is telling. And this, this series, such as it is, is designed to stir you. I want you to be leaving church saying, oh, there's more than that. That was good. You could tell he'd done half an hour prep on that message, but there's more than that. Even when the message is good, even when the worship's great as it was this morning, I want you to be leaving saying, I know there's more. I know there's more for me, and I'm excited to explore it this week as I go about my daily life. We are seeking a move of the Spirit of God And it is just that, a move of his spirit. It's a sovereign move that we're after. But yet we must understand that there is a part for us to play. God works in partnership with his people. And part of what it means for us to play our part is that we need to become informed. We need to be informed. Rather than uninformed. Uninformed. That's what Paul says to the church in Corinth. You know, don't be, regarding the gifts of the Spirit, regarding the things of the Spirit, I don't know, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't know where you're at this morning. You may be informed. You may have been previously informed. You may have been misinformed. You may be, you, you may be in a particularly dangerous category. You were misinformed, but you don't know it yet. Or you may just have never been informed about the things of the Spirit of God. But if you stick around, if you stick for six, if you come every week, revolutionary concept, you might experience what it's like to learn more about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And that might just change your life. It might just change the atmosphere of your workplace. It might change the values of your family. It might renew your marriage. It might change your children's lives. There's no, there is no, literally no end to what might shift. There's no end, because there's no end to God. Last week, Amy and Sam, depending on whether you were here in the morning or the evening, they broke this list of gifts that Paul gives to the church in Corinth into three. And we looked at the first of those, the gifts of knowledge. And this week, we're going to look at the gifts of power. Say to your neighbor, power. Oh, yes. Power, poder, I don't know why that felt good to say it in Spanish. It did, it felt powerful. <laughs> okay, so we're going to look, look at the gifts of power, which are faith, healing, and miracles. So, what are the gifts of power? Let's begin by defining and describing them. Okay, the first gift that we're going to look at today The gift of faith. Now, generally speaking, the word for faith in Greek, the language in which most of, well, all of the New Testament was written, uh, is pistis. And generally speaking, this word speaks of trust. It's honestly a better word, I think, for faith is trust. Better than belief, I think. When we start to think about belief, Usually, we begin to think of categories of belief, things I should believe, believe and call myself a real Christian. A better word is trust. It's far more important that you trust God than you believe the right things about him. And so faith is really about trust. But faith in this list 
specifically means something different. What is in view here is not just a generic sense of trust in God, but a specific sense of confidence that God is who he said he is, and that he is able to do this or that particular thing. Does that make sense? A confidence in the moment that God is who he says he is, and he can do exactly this or exactly that. Gordon Fee, Pentecostal theologian, says this. I said Pentecostal. Some of you started listening. Oh, this guy must be good. He said this. While Paul probably considers the faith that leads to salvation to be the work of the Spirit in the believer's life, what is in mind here, that is in 1 Corinthians 12, is the special gift of faith that can move mountains. A gift of faith. A gift of faith. Something you receive from God that is and feels like faith, that feels like confidence, a momentary thing. I want to tell you a story because there has, there, I'm sure this has happened in my life multiple times. But there's one time in particular where I was aware, and I was aware in the moment that I was give, being given a gift of faith. And it was a number of years ago, actually almost 10 years ago, and I know that because it was around the time our son Joseph was being born. And a couple who were good friends of ours, or friends at that time and have become better friends since, were awaiting their first child. And they'd been waiting for a child for 10 years and praying for a child. And they fell pregnant and experienced the joy that comes with that, particularly after waiting for a long time. But the first scan they had revealed a significant problem with the skeleton of this child, which meant that the baby, they were told the baby would not grow in the womb. And if the baby were to make it to full term, the baby would not be able to breathe and the baby would die immediately out of the womb. So the baby wasn't expected to go to full term, and they were advised by a number of medical professionals that the best thing that they could do would be to abort the pregnancy. Months and months of bad news at different appointments followed this. The difficult thing alongside that, there was no real clarity on why this was happening. They were just told time and again that the baby could not survive and would not do so for more than a minute after birth. They were, in one particular appointment, near the birth of, of this child, they were asked, what would you like to do when the baby dies? Would you like to keep the baby in your arms? Would you like us to take the baby away? And so on. And they said, look, we don't want any of that. We want the baby to live. And so one Tuesday morning, it was the HDB staff meeting, and Phil, the father, came. I don't think he came with Charlotte, but he's, maybe he did. But at least Phil came. And... Um, he explained the situation, and Pete Gregg, who was leading uh, in prayer, in prayer ministry around that time in the church, began to uh, organize us. Now, HTB staff meeting at that point was about 300 and something people. Uh, so it was a, a lively gathering. And Pete Gregg, it was beautiful, actually, a gift of leadership on display. He said, look, you may be feeling, as you hear this story, one of at least four things. And uh, he went on, he said, but there's one group in particular that you feel faith, you have faith now for something to happen, for a shift in this baby. And I, I can only tell you that in that moment, I felt faith. I had faith. I had confidence that something dramatic would happen. And I got to tell you, I know, I know for a fact that wasn't, that is not my constitution 
I wish it were. I wish I was a glass half full or three quarters full or five eighths or seven eighths full person. I am not, but in that moment I had a sense and I made my way to what was at that point the back right of the church and I joined with those and there were a number of us. I felt a defiant hope rise within me. And I prayed and I roared and I screamed along with others. And I sincerely believed that God would deliver this baby. That's what a gift of faith looks like. A defiant hope. You know it doesn't come from you. It's a gift. That's the point. So we might say, and this is my own definition. Didn't even get it from a book. Faith is a gifted anticipation of God's imminent activity that shifts the atmosphere around us. A gifted anticipation. That is to say it doesn't come from you, you didn't. And here's the thing, because there is something in the church that masquerades and parades as faith. It's hype. It's hype. Do you know that hype has nothing to do with faith? Hype is what happens when faith has left the room. Because we no longer trust God to do it, so we think that in our own strength we will do it. Faith is not hype. Faith is not striving. Faith is profoundly honest. It's a gift. Just as those with unfaith can kill an atmosphere of expectation, so those who've been given and received the gift of faith pour oxygen into other people's lives. They have a big expectation because the Holy Spirit has revealed to them the magnitude of their God. That's the gift of faith. The second gift... Trotting on to the second gift is the gift of healing, or rather, to be semantically exact. Gifts, plural, gifts of healing. Now, this doesn't need a huge amount of comment. Jesus' ministry, if you've read the Gospels, if you haven't, go for it this week. Have at it. Start with Mark. It's short. You can read it in an hour. Some friends of mine actually used to do Mark in the Park, where they'd go to a park and read Mark. Took an hour. Brilliant. Do that this week. Mark in the park. Where was I? <laughs> Jesus, that's it. His ministry, his kingdom ministry was, was bathed in healing. It was all about healing. Healing was one of the authentic and authoritative signs of the reality of his message. Do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. That is the gospel Jesus preached. The gospel that the kingdom of God is available By the way, if anybody tells you there's another gospel, they haven't read the book. The book is the gospel. So the gospel is the gospel. It's the message that's in the gospel. And that is the availability of God's kingdom here and now. And Jesus doesn't just talk about it. He authenticates it in signs and wonders. And one of those specific signs and wonders is healing. The healing isn't the kingdom. It's the sign of the kingdom. And healings in Christian history have always attended the kingdom. Paul in the early church, again, healing. But not just Paul. And despite the fact some, of the, some people will tell you this, not just the apostles. The church throughout Christian history has seen healing take place. And by healing, I mean physical healing. I mean bodies. Be, I mean the stuff that Clive Hopewell talked about. I mean what I was talking to Pastor Johnson, who's with us today. He leads the church, read, uh, leading a church that meets this afternoon at 2 p.m. He's from Pakistan. He and his wife lead that church. Pastor Johnson has seen healing in Pakistan. That kind of healing, physical healing. But also inner healing. 
Amen, I have been graced, gifted uh, to see dramatic transformation in people's inner lives over the last 15 years of ministry. That is no less miraculous, by the way, I would argue. It's equally miraculous. Do you know what's interesting? And this isn't written down, I'm just having fun. It's often connected to physical healing. Often physical unwellness is connected to something deep within. Not always, but often. The Greek here for gifts is plural. What I think that indicates to us is the gift, it's not the gift of healing, that is to say, it's not a gift that somebody who's praying gets. So you don't need to prance about this morning saying, I have the gift of healing. Now that's not how it works. Now God may use you in healing, and maybe so often that you've got a bit of a knack for it. But the gifts of healing are the gifts of healing that God gives to the person who's healed. So what I want to pray this morning, God, is that you would release gifts of healing for the church. We don't possess these, because that, at that point they cease to be gifts. Yeah? So let's just pray, just even as you're there, just as I'm talking, just zone out and pray, Lord, release gifts of healing. Give gifts of healing to your church in this day, on this day. Now, interesting, this one works with the previous one pretty well. Can I just say as an aside, because I am getting excited and I am enjoying myself, this also works with the three things we talked about last week, particularly with gifts of knowledge. Often God, rele- God tells us in advance what he wants to do, and that creates the gift of faith, which then releases gifts of healing. Now, I have to say to you personally, I have seen people healed, but I'm profoundly dissatisfied with the quantity or lack thereof. I want to see more. I want to see much more. Finally, the working of miracles. The working of miracles. I need to speed along here. Literally, this phrase is a translation of working of power. It translates two words, energema, from which we get the word energy, and dunamis, from which we get the words dynamite, dy- dynamic. So we might say it's a dynamic energy, or, or perhaps better, a working of power, powerful works. That's what miracles are. I prefer that, honestly, to talk about miracles, because when we talk about miracles, we think about suspension of the natural. It becomes all quite rationalist. For God, there is no natural or supernatural. There's just the stuff he's doing. But for us, we might consider miracles or the working of his power to be things which are beyond the ordinary. Uh, One uh, person, John Thompson, a pastor, a scholar, says a miracle is an exercise of authority over the demonic and authority over nature. So anything that's beyond normality, we might say, that doesn't fit in healing, we might just label with gifts of power, working of God's power. I'm going to close with this. What's all this for? What's the purpose? Well, I've kind of alluded to it already, haven't I? The purpose is the kingdom. The purpose is the mission of the church, which is the revelation, the preaching and the revelation that there is a king and his name is Jesus. That the the kings who might sit in Downing Street, self-proclaimed, or in other places aren't actually the king. That there is an ultimate authority, there is a rule and a reign, uh, and it's in heaven, from heaven, and his name is Jesus. 
And so these, these tools are tools of the kingdom. They're a tool belt that God gives his church to join with him, to partner in the kingdom. Psalm 77 says, as Steph has already read to us this morning, let me hurriedly find it. Your ways, verse 13, God are holy. What God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Listen to this. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. And then verse 19. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. The gifts of the Spirit, particularly the gifts of power, are to help people, to help They are manifestations of God's power so that we, as God's people and God's creation, might find a way through the sea. You know, in Scripture, the sea stands for chaos. The chaos and disorder that's in the world and the gifts of power are gifts that God gives his church to plot a path through the sea. And you know what it's like to be facing the sea. This is an image borrowed from Exodus where uh, God's people, Israel, were leaving Egypt and they had the armies of Pharaoh behind them. They had the sea, the Red Sea ahead of them and they could not pass. There was no way through the sea until God acted miraculously. That's just a small example of what the sea is in my own life, but just this last week, I woke up on Wednesday morning, and I, oh, Amy sometimes has the sort of, maybe it's the gift of insight, the gift of wisdom to look at me and say, Johnny, whew, how you doing? And I said to her this Wednesday morning, I'm not doing well, love. I was caught up in a sea, a torrent of my own. In our house, we call it a shame storm. A shame storm. Maybe you understand this. I had said something on Tuesday. Often for me, it's around something I've said. I said something on Tuesday that I profoundly regretted, and all I could think about on Wednesday morning was what I'd said. I was wishing that somehow there's a time travel machine whereby I could eat up my words and not have said them. Unfortunately, that was not a miracle that God was willing to grant me. And so I went to my prayer chair as I do every morning, having delivered a coffee to my wife. Thank you. Lost my reward. And I just began to talk to God about it, and a particular poem came to mind. I'm going to read some poetry, folks. This is from Rilke. He says this, I am praying again, awesome one. You hear me again as words from the depths of me rush towards you in the wind. I've been scattered in pieces, torn by conflict, mocked by laughter, washed down in drink. In alleyways, I sweep myself up out of garbage and broken glass. With my half mouth, I stammer you, who are eternal in your symmetry. I lift to you my half hands in wordless beseeching that I may find again the eyes with which I once beheld you. I am a house gutted by fire where only the guilty sometimes sleep before the punishment that devours them, hounds them out into the open. I am a city by the sea, sinking into a toxic tide. 
I'm strange to myself, as though someone unknown had poisoned my mother as she carried me. It's here in all the pieces of my shame that I now find myself again. I yearn to belong to something, to be contained in an all-embracing mind that sees me as a single thing. I yearn to be held in the great hands of your heart. Oh, let them take me now. Into them I place these fragments, my life. And you, God, spend them however you want. As I prayed that, thank you, great poem. As I prayed that, as I presented to God the fragments of my life, and I read Psalm 77, here's what I read. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. I had an aha moment. Through. Through. Not around, not apart from, but through the sea. As I faced the sea, the sea of chaos, the sea in my case of shame, the sea of guilt, of fear, the, the sea of unbelief, the sea of physical sickness, the, the, the sea of disease, of political turmoil, of conflict, of disaster, of trauma in my childhood, of abuse, whatever sea faces me and you. As I faced that, the promise for me was that the way is through the sea. The gifts are gifts for those who face the sea because there's only one other alternative to facing the sea and that is turning back to Egypt, turning back and accepting slavery. As disciples of Jesus, we face the sea each and every day. We face the sea on our own behalf in trust and confidence that God will heal us. But we also face the sea on the behalf of a broken world who has nobody else to stand in the gap, to intercede to holy and kind God who wants to bring his kingdom on earth. This is how God moves through the sea. And he gives his church gifts to face the sea with him, to partner with him in facing the sea. And so we pass on through the sea, and as we do, we receive a greater revelation of God's reality, of his character, of his presence, and his power. You know, those Israelites would have passed through the sea, and what they would have found halfway through was Moses holding up the wooden staff so that the sea would not... <laughs> Joined together again upon them. A sign of God's power and deliverance. You know, as we pass through the sea, what we find is not the wood of, of Moses' staff raised aloft, but Jesus, our Lord and Savior, crucified on the wood of the cross for our sake, so that we could know that as we pass through the sea, he's with us. And it is the Holy Spirit who is poured out of the wounds of Jesus on the cross for us, to equip and empower us for the renewal of the world. I didn't tell you how Adelaide's story end, ended. Let me just tell you, what happens is that Adelaide is born, and the first thing that happens is the impossible. As she takes a breath, she cries. The thing that no doctor said was possible, uh, she uh, she was healed. She, she lived. She still lives today. She's the most wonderful, energetic, 
can I say spirited? She is, f- that's an important word, she is full of spirit. She's full of life. She's an extraordinary young girl. And, um, and you can see her. St. Paul Shadwell, please do watch that. But why don't we stand? We're running slightly over, and I, I confess that was because I got excited. But I just want to pray. Uh, in accordance with uh, what we've seen, with the gifts that God gives to his church, I, want, I just want to ask for a release of gifts in this place. These, these three gifts particularly. So maybe you just open your hands in readiness. And again, because time is short, I'm not going to beat around the bush here. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And then we'll wait for just a couple of minutes. And then I'm just going to invite people to come forward if they'd like to receive prayer. So Holy Spirit, I invite you now. I don't command you. You are God. I am not. We are not. But I do ask you. I ask you that you would come.